Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to episode 4-431 of the Run Run Live podcast. And I know, I know, I know I'm late. A few days, maybe a week late. I'm going to be honest with you. I just wasn't motivated to produce this podcast last weekend. I just was not. So my strategy typically is to spread out the production tasks throughout the week. So when I have little bits of time... And then at the end of the week, when I get to the microphone, it's only a couple hours of work. And when I don't do that, then I'm staring at this big chunk of the day to do all the production and putting it all together. And I just did not have the energy last weekend. I was not motivated. Hey, I'm just an average guy like the rest of them. And sometimes I run out of mental energy. And that's really it. It's the mental energy, not the physical energy. And truthfully... When that happens, the product quality starts to suffer. Sure, I could push through, but it starts to impact the quality. And I'm guessing there's only a few of you diehards who even care or even noticed I missed my publishing window. (laughs) But you're going to wait till your weekend to run, right? You're going to wait till your long run on the weekend to listen to it anyhow, right? So no muss, no fuss. We'll get it out. I have recharged the batteries, grabbed the loose threads, gathered up the sundry pieces of episode 4-431, swept them into a slightly greasy bin, and will present them here for you today. And today we have a good show for you. I interview Liz, who is, is simply amazing, just an amazing human. She's finishing up a project she calls 30 Marathons Before Her 30th Birthday. And I was super impressed by her sense of adventure and her hopefulness. I mean, gosh, we need hopefulness, don't we? It's so refreshing, a refreshing attitude. It's empowering. I so enjoyed talking to her. And indeed, she is running to empower women in many places around the world. That would seem, you know, sketchy and dangerous to me. But I guess to her, they're not. Having daughters about her age, I'm like, you really went to Afghanistan to go running? So she's going to talk about all that. And I'm glad to have been able to talk with her. In section one, 
I will talk a little bit about running, about how to mix in some hard effort sessions into your stale old training, because I've been doing this and enjoying it. And in section two, I have a piece I wrote on consumer buying trends, and because I've been thinking about it a lot. And I left the old man and the Amazonian, Hippolyta, not Hippolyta, Hippolyta was the queen of the Amazons. I left them out in the apocalypse for now, and I'm figuring out what I want to do with that. I've been doing some writing, but I haven't got back to that. So if you're new to the podcast, as you just walked in, this is it. You're going, what is going on here? I'm talking about a set of stories I was writing in an apocalyptic setting for the last three or four episodes. But I've got some ideas. I have to find the time. And I personally, I think it would make a great serial podcast where I could be the narrator and we'd assemble some some voice actors for the different characters in the story and do some Foley effects. So if you're interested in any of that, reach out to me and we'll have some fun. And if you're new, again, this is the Run Run Live podcast. I'm up to 431 official episodes across 12 years Four iterations, 60-ish marathons, ultramarathons, mountain bike ultras, triathlons, a Spartan beast, and sundry other fun stuff. Yep. And we talk to interesting people about endurance sports. And we try to have some helpful tips for our endurance athlete friends. And we muse on other different things that might be interesting to think about while you're out in the woods with your dog on a long run. And it it is still the apocalypse here where I live in New England. My family is safe. I'm I'm safe. I haven't traveled since March. Uh, since March, and I'm getting a bit of cabin fever. I barely left the house. It's like it's like Groundhog Day. Same thing every day. I'm still training, even though all the races have been canceled. Well, I should say all the physical races have been canceled. Human beings being human beings, we have created a basket full of virtual races to run. And I have signed up for a couple. First is the great virtual race across Tennessee that Gary Cantrell, a.k.a. Lazarus Lake of the Barkley Marathon. If you (laughs) Google that, if you don't know what it is, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, So he put that on and I signed up because all of my ultra friends uh, shamed me into it. And if I do the math, he's collected over a million bucks in race fees for the folks who work down in Tennessee. So, yep, all my uh, ultra running friends wouldn't stop pestering me. I signed up. And it's all those anarchic ultra runners. The first day, somebody put 84 miles in, 13 days in, and somebody already finished the 1,000K. And I'm not doing anything special to try to keep up with these lunatics. I'm not sure I have the mileage right now to even make it to a thousand K by the end of August, which is what the race is. And I'm actually pretty sure I don't. I'm logging my miles and I'm also logging my dog walks, 1.2 miles in the morning every day. Ollie the collie, because according to the rules, it counts. And I signed up for another one for my coach. It's called the Montauk Need to Feed 5K which, again, I'm probably not going to go wander out into the street by myself and bust out a 5K for fun, but I wanted to support the people in need, and I know these folks. And that one's interesting because Jared Ward and Molly Huddle, two famous marathoners, Olympians, they're running that one. So you, my friends, if you're able, you should sign up for some sort of virtual event. Even if you don't want to do the event, sign up, 
lend your weight, lend your money, lend your sense of community around the race, and get involved with that charity. It's an easy way to stay involved, to stay connected and contribute. Because, you know, I'm not big on virtual races. I've spent so much of the last 20, 25 years running alone. I don't really care about t-shirts and medals. When I race, I care about the race. I care about how I feel and how I compete. I I don't get that same juice from running by myself, even if somebody's going to mail me a t-shirt. For me, you know, running by myself hard, that's called Wednesday or Thursday. So... Let's see if we can change that. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. If you're running, don't close your eyes. Just squint a little bit. Stay with me here. It's a cold morning with the chill of a mist in the air. The sun is just starting to creep up over a still cold lake nestled in the shoulder of a mountain. And you feel the thrill of the crowded starting line. Nervous, fit, humans shuffled dust in the dirt road murmurs and stifled laughs fill the background and there is an electric sense of energy like the opening of mass at some great cathedral a hush comes over the throng a runner steps out of the crowd and steps forward and she steps up and grabs a microphone she launches into the national anthem starting out low and haunting like the bugles before a pitch battle, and cresting high and brave like a waving flag of freedom, a large gathering voice lashed across this sea of energy. You don your hat, wipe a tear from your eye, and wait for the gun and the surge, and then you see you are out there. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Hard efforts. The benefits of going hard. I noticed something this week in my training as I mixed in some hard efforts. The relatively small amount of hard effort in terms of time, it has an outsized impact. And I'm going to walk you through what I mean by hard effort and talk about that outsized impact. And this is important to understand because it stands in contrast to what most of us would normally do in our day-to-day training. And it's also a great way to get maximum benefit from a short workout if you're time-constrained. Most of us will fall into a routine of running X miles X days a week at the same effort, unless we have a specific race we're training for. And don't get me wrong, this is great. This means you you have cracked the code. You've conquered the hardest impediment to becoming a lifelong endurance athlete, consistency. You should feel pretty good about yourself. You consistently get out and run or bike or whatever, three to five miles, three to five days a week, let's say, right? Maybe with a longer run on the weekend. That's great. You've won. That's it. You, You have won the game of life. Good job. But the thing these base building runs lack is variety and stress. Your body gets used to the cadence of your weekly mileage and it adapts. You maintain a certain level of core fitness, but 
you're not testing yourself. And because you're not testing your body, it forgets how to respond to those tests. When I'm in these periods of routine running cadence, I feel almost like I'm losing fitness. Even though I'm running 30 plus miles a week, I'm getting incrementally less benefit from those miles because my body has adapted to the process and no longer sees any stress. And I realize this because I'm currently watching my nutrition. So this means I weigh in every day and not only watch what I eat, but also the impact of my workouts. And what did I see as the impact on my body for these base runs? Not much. I'll see maybe a pound or two of water loss, but very little incremental calorie burn. So this is your first revelation. I'm out in the woods running at my normal, relaxed pace for an hour to an hour and a half, and I see very little impact. And my theory is that my body is so acclimated to these types of runs that it is essentially a walk in the park. No stress, no bounce, as I like to say. And I can see that in the numbers. It's good for my head, helps maintain that fitness, but does not stress the system much at all. And then, lately, the coach threw in a couple of shorter tempo type runs. And here's a second revelation. A one-hour tempo pace run on the road gets much different results in the way my body responds. A set of hill repeats or intervals does the same thing. Why? Because it's stressing my body in a different way. It gets the furnace going. And that furnace stays burning hot all day. And what does one of these tempo efforts look like? You know, anything with some sustained hard effort in it. For example, a one-hour step-up run. 20-minute warm-up, 20 minutes in zone three, 10 minutes hard, 10-minute cool-down. If you break that down, I'm only spending 30 minutes in that hour in any kind of tempo effort. Another would be intervals, right? You set your watch to buzz every X minutes and you run race pace for one to four or one to eight. You know, you pick what you want and then you recover and you do that a bunch of times. Rinse and repeat. Or do an out and back. Go out easy the first half, turn around and come back hard. See if you can beat yourself back. And if you want to convert that from zones to paces, I'll give it a try. For that zone three effort, for me, that hovers around my marathon pace. Not that hard, but you're noticeably turning your feet over a bit faster and breathing a bit harder. The zone four five bits at the end, they're probably 30 to 45 seconds a mile faster than marathon pace or around what I assume my 10K pace would be if I ever ran a 10K. Hill repeats works the same way. I won't go into the details again. You can find that on my feed, but it ends up being, you know, 10 minutes of hard effort, maybe an hour long workout, really not that much. The big reveal is the impact. I had been stuck at a plateau recently in my weight loss, and these tempo workouts break that plateau. Even though they're shorter than my regular training runs, Because they stress your body in a different way, they burn more calories. And that burn has a hangover effect. The furnace gets kicked on and it burns hot for a couple hours after that. And I would hypothesize that if all I was doing was tempo runs, it wouldn't have the same effect. And if I switched from those back to long zone two runs, I'd probably get a similar bounce. So it has to do with the variability of the training and the effort and the effect of that. If you do too much of the same routine, it gets stale 
and your body figures it out. You have to mix it up to get your body to adapt. And another thing I like about mixing in these hard workouts is that they make me feel really good about myself. There's nothing like finishing one of these and feeling that pride of having done something good, something worthy, that mental boost, like the calorie burn, it stays with you all day. So why do you care? Seven takeaways. One, mixing in some shorter, harder efforts with your easy runs will burn more calories. Two, if you are time-strapped, these are a great way to maximize benefits. Three, they cause an energy burn hangover that stays with you for at least a few hours. Four, the time of day you run these can influence the impact of the run, so play around with that. Five, they're great plateau busters. Six, don't do too much. The benefit will lessen, and you risk injury if you do too much. And seven, Mentally, it makes you feel like you've accomplished something. Have fun with it. And now for today's featured interview. So Liz Warner. Yes. So give me uh, the 200 words or less on, uh, on who you are and what you're doing and, uh, and where we're at today. Of course. I started running, it was 2013 was my first marathon, and it was a really transformative experience for me. I became addicted to running marathons, but specifically traveling to run in marathons. I used to live in Japan, and so probably like the first five years of me running marathons was mostly around Asia. Fast forward six years, I was on my honeymoon in September 2018. I came up with this idea called Run to Reach, where my goal at that point was to run 30 marathons in 30 countries before I turned 30. And so I had essentially a year and a half, 18 months to complete my final 20 marathons. But okay. the, <laughs> the main purpose of the project actually, so in each of the countries that I'd be running marathons in, I've chosen a local women empowerment nonprofit in that country to support and fundraise for and raise awareness about as well. So that has really been the main purpose of this whole project. Yeah, and as I, when we were trading emails, so much going on here. You've lived yeah. such a full life and you're not even 30 yet. No. You've been to all these places. Almost, almost. How does a young lady from Georgia end up in all these crazy places? Yeah. My father was a very adventurous person, and he actually spent quite a number of years in France. His dream was to go to medical school, and he didn't get into any medical school in the U.S., so he decided to come to France and go to med school here. And I think just through his adventurous spirit, I mean, I've always, my family, I mean, I've been very, very lucky to have traveled from a really young age. And so... I think I've just always had the travel bug. I went to college in Maine, actually, in a very small town. And when I was there, I mean, I loved the experience, but I was just hungry to experience the world and live my life a little bit outside of my comfort zone. So, you know, I've always just tried to push the boundaries. And I think, again, combining my newfound passion of running with traveling, it just, everything sort of made sense with this whole mission. We're in Maine. So it's a small school called Bowdoin College sure, in Brunswick. Bowdoin. Yeah, yeah. Really? My, yeah, of course. Yeah, one of my yeah. kids looked at Bowdoin. Yeah. Really, really? Sure. Yeah. I mean, 
I loved going there. And I'm actually going to hopefully go back there in September for a wedding. But yeah, it was an amazing experience. But I definitely was hungry to move someplace crazy after graduating from Florida. Yeah, yeah, there's not much going on up there. <laughs> no, but it's beautiful. But it's, it's, it's yeah, beautiful. It's pretty, yeah. Um, a little stark, but beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. Your, your classic, uh, you know, if you read a novel about a small New England liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, that's... Abs- yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I did my undergraduate at uh, UNH down the road. Okay. Okay. Yes, of course. So. Of course. Of course. Cool. 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 So, so you were predispositioned for sort of this adventure, this adventure aspect of this. And then yes. you salted the, the running stuff on top, right? Yes. And yes, then you exactly. said, well, maybe I can help people too. So it'd be this uh, lovely sandwich of all the things that were important to you. Absolutely. Um, and the places that you're going to do these yes. things are a bit off the beaten path. So I, I talk to folks who run across the United States or do a marathon a month or 52 marathons in a year or all these yeah. things, right? It's not yeah. that uncommon anymore to talk to people who are doing these things. Yes. And, um, but the way you went about it, some of these places, like you were just talking about Yemen, again, I'm not sure I'd be going there if I was a 20-something-year-old woman, right? Yeah. Western woman. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. It's funny. When I first started planning this project, I really had two months to plan everything, and then I just went. I originally chose countries that I kind of selfishly wanted to travel to, for example, like the Seychelles or Cuba. And then um, maybe six months into the project, I was in Sierra Leone. And again, this was a country that not many people really travel to. And um, I was just completely blown away by the experience and decided I'm going to scrap everything I've planned. And I'm going to choose all new marathons in places that would open my eyes, but would also the tiny platform that I do have open the eyes of others. And really beyond the NGO focus of this project, Run to Reach has become to me challenging the rigid bias narratives that ostracize a lot of people that are living in some of these countries like Yemen or Afghanistan even. And it really started to feel like an honor to travel to these places and show a different side to these countries, you know, through the amazing people that are living there and through these marathons. So that really added an extra layer of just something really special to this project. So I've traveled uh, internationally a little bit or enough to come to the same conclusion that people are basically people no matter where you go, right? And there's going to be the same mix of people no matter where you go. Um, But overall, have you found that there's a common thread of humanity through all these different hard to reach places that you've been to? Absolutely. And um, even I think one of the most life-changing trips I went on last year for this project was in Afghanistan. And I've never been met with so much kindness and just the people there, they're so happy to see foreigners come to their country and appreciate it for its beauty, not necessarily to come and fix it or for any other purpose and would be on the street and someone would be asking, just inviting me into their home for tea and and just people were really just incredibly warm. And, and so I think what this whole project has also shown me, I actually feel very confident that if I were to be picked up and placed in any part of the world, um, I really feel confident that I could go up to any random stranger and kindly ask for help and that they would, at the end of the day, 
try to help me. And I think, yeah, Run to Reach has definitely given me this renewed sense or hope for humanity. Absolutely. So it sounds like you did a bit of a pivot as you got into the project. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and said, wait, I'm not big enough. Exactly. Exactly. And I also think how amazing that there's marathons now in Afghanistan and even Somaliland, which is not even a recognized country in the world. I just found that to just be so fascinating. And then again, sort of combining this all with the NGO component and working with so many truly incredible organizations and and traveling there and meeting with the people that work for these NGOs and sort of really getting a, a deeper understanding of the issues there and just the cultural in general has been truly enlightening. And uh, I think when I compare, I guess the past year, because to be honest, I the first 10 marathons that I ran, it was purely just, I traveled to these countries. I did a bit of going around exploring and then I ran the marathon and left. And so really this project is it's just, it's so much deeper exploration of these cultures and places. Right. But at the same time, you've got the gift of some self-exploration through that lens that a lot of people don't get, right? Of course. And that's what I, I find a lot of value as well. well yes, yes. I did have a space in my life where I ran a marathon a month around three. Wow. Um, and one of the things that when I look back on that, uh-huh. you know, some of those are some of my favorite and, the be- and, it, and it's due to the people for the most part, yes. right? The people yes, the always. Yes, yes, yes. But I also realized that it all started to sort of blur together because I was cramming too much into yeah. too small a space at time. And just yes. the logistics of moving around and doing stuff make it blur together and you lose focus, right? It starts to be Absolutely. sort of like a job. Did you find yes. that happen to you? 100%. I think what was so challenging with this project is that, again, I was working with one organization in each country. And I think in a lot of respects, it would have been so much easier if I just had one nonprofit to work for and communicate their message. But yeah, I mean, I was spending two weeks in luxury working with one organization and each organization essentially, like they all fall under the same umbrella being women focused, but they all do very different things. So I found that not only was I going to a different country every couple of weeks, but it was also doing all the research and changing, sort of pivoting in a very big way in supporting a different organization and sort of communicating their very different message. And I definitely towards the end, like probably the end of last year, October, November was starting to get very burnt out. And it's exactly what you were saying. Like you just, you start to lose track of time and where you are and everything is a blur. You also, it's really hard to appreciate the amazing things that you're experiencing because again, you're just, you don't have a second to breathe and to sort of process everything that's been happening. So yeah, I mean, I remember I came back from my trip in Afghanistan. I was supposed to leave one week later for a month in Africa and I just lost it. I had a panic attack during one of my runs and it was also just starting to feed into the way that I sort of let loose and sort of my outlet to sort of release a lot of stress has always been running. And I became to see that running actually was causing me a lot of stress because it was so entangled with everything that I was doing every hour of the day now. So I definitely hit a pretty low point and I had to cancel part of that trip actually to just have a bit more time at home to again like recharge and process right, and just right. sort of reassess everything yeah and and you'll look back on that and you'll go wow i was here in this place and doing this thing and i don't even 
remember it, right? I was worried yeah. about, I don't know, blisters or where I was going to get my next meal or and I, yes. and I wasn't looking, yes. lifting my head up. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. There's a, there's a takeaway for people. These these projects are great, but pace yourself. I'm sure you oh enjoy the trip. Oh my gosh, yeah. Stop and just and like, smell the roses. Absolutely. And I think what you mentioned too, just sort of figuring out the logistics. <laughs> I think if anyone looks at, for example, my Instagram, it's like, oh, Liz is just running around the world in these beautiful places. But I honestly would probably spend, you know, at least 10 to 12 hours of every day on my computer, just trying again to figure everything out, reach out to sponsors, you know, all these small things that I think people don't really think about with these type of projects. So so let's drill down into one of these marathons that really stands yes. out, like Mongolia or someplace yes. in Africa or yes. Afghanistan. Talk me through one of these. What's it like to show up as a, yeah. a young Anglo woman from <laughs> Georgia in someplace like this and say, hey, I'm here to run your marathon? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the marathon Afghanistan was really unique. And I think even what was so crazy about that experience is that, well, first of all, my family was not too happy with me going there. And the company that was helping me organize the trip, like I kept asking them, could you please put me in touch with someone who's done this marathon before? And they're like, oh, you know, they kept sort of going around the, the question and I never actually got any guidance. So I just like, I took this leap of faith. I remember it was that marathon Afghanistan was in October. It was a few months before in July where I made the decision I was going to do it. And the second I landed in Afghanistan, you're sort of looking around. And again, it's like, it's sort of your eyes are being open. For years and years, I've been reading in the headlines about this terrible war-torn country with filled with Taliban and all these terrorists. And, and it was just so mind-blowing to sort of see normal people there and people who were smiling at me. And whenever someone did ask me where I was from, I was hesitant to say American, just because you don't know, honestly, what in Afghan people, they've been through so much. But yeah, and then once we actually got to where the marathon was being held in Bamiyan, what was so crazy about this area of Afghanistan is that it was sort of this safety bubble, like the conflict had never really reached there. I mean, <laughs> I guess Bamiyan is actually famous in, in 2001 the Taliban blew up these huge Buddha statues there. Sure. And yeah. so that's what it's sort of famous for. But since then, the Taliban has cleared out and I would be going into the bazaar by myself as a foreign solo woman. And I think that was also just a really kind of crazy experience. But the coolest part about the marathon itself, so I was there working with and supporting this one organization called Free to Run. And uh, what Free to Run does, they they provide safe spaces for Afghan women to train and to participate in sports. So um, there were 45 free to run Afghan women runners running that marathon in October. And so it was just a really powerful experience talking to these Afghan women runners who running for them was such a courageous act. And if anything, they were using it as almost their weapon of change to sort of pave the way for other Afghan women to follow in their path and sort of assert their independence and do this crazy thing, which is just running in public. So um, I just think the whole experience was just, it was truly life-changing and eye-opening. And uh, I very much want to go back there to travel more around the country. And I think it just, again, going to a place like Afghanistan, where you have all these 
images in your head of it being very dangerous. And it just, I think it made me a little bit fearless. Like I almost have this desire now to go to more places that have sort of this connotation attached to them. Like I would, I would love to go back to mainland Yemen. Like I feel like there's so much more to the story than just conflict in all of these countries. I mean, of course you have to be you know, mindful, you have to be responsible. And obviously you cannot go to every part of these countries. But yeah, just that marathon was really so amazing. Tough too. It took me almost eight hours to complete because it was really hilly. It was in this national park there. But yeah, just a really cool experience. Yeah. So did you find these women runners that you there in other places that they do that thing that I found all runners do? It's like we have this thing in common and all of a sudden we're best friends, right? Yes, a hundred percent. I spent probably a week with them. And they were also, I think what really blew me away with these Afghan women runners is that they were like an open book. They really wanted to share all sorts of experiences with me. I mean, I remember, I think it was the night before the marathon, I was talking to this one girl, Hosnia, and we became pretty close over that one week. And she was telling me about how few years before she was a student at the American University of Kabul and there was a huge bombing there and she lost all of her friends or a number of friends and a few of her professors and she was telling me this story where again you just cannot even imagine being in that type of situation but then like two minutes later she started telling me how Game of Thrones was her favorite TV show and that she had just finished reading Michelle Obama's book Becoming and so it was sort of this crazy going back and forth in conversation of you're just like, wow, your world is so completely different from mine. But then relating to them on just like a, a fun, we're both in our 20s, kind of we, we like the same things. And, and so it was a really, really interesting experience on that end too. Yeah, dichotomy. Yeah, absolutely. This is interesting. And you got sort of shut down at 27 marathons. So you're going to go virtual for the last three or something like that, which is, yes. uh, which is yes. fine. After all yeah. the time you've spent uh, in yurts. Yeah, absolutely. Weird airports. I think you yeah. earned a couple of virtual races. Yeah. And I mean, so actually I have two left. So I'm now, it's actually, it's been interesting because I've, been getting really into this virtual race and I'm really hoping to get at least 500 runners in over 100 countries to participate. And I'm launching one final big fundraising push also in support of the WHO to sort of really tie in what's going on with COVID now. But I'm hoping to get 2,600 people to donate $26 ahead of my final 26 miles. So I'm launching this big campaign over the next couple of days. And I know it's not honestly the best time to fundraise, but I do feel like $26 is, is something that a lot of us can spare, especially most of the organizations I've been working with, they are on the front lines now really trying to help out during this crisis period. So, And I think there are a lot of people looking for ways to help, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So not, I'm seeing a lot of um, self-generated charities, the wrong word, but people looking around to say, how can I help myself? Yes, Which yes. is human nature. We talked about human nature, you know? Yes, yes. You get the yes, good with the bad. Exactly, exactly. So what are the, the links, the website and stuff? Yes, so people, so runners can sign up for my virtual race 
through my website. There's a link on there, um, runtoreach.com, R-U-N-T-O-R-E-A-C-H. And um, there's a link on there and it's really easy to just sign up. I've actually started a new GoFundMe page because for this, trying to get 2,600 people to donate $26 so that I can really keep track of everything. And uh, yeah, it's it's all on my website. And then my Instagram, I'm constantly putting new updates on there. Again, is that, yeah. Is that run to reach as well? Correct, correct. Okay, yes. I'm going to follow you. Okay, great, great. I will follow you back. And uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it's I just heard from runners in Bhutan that they're really interested in joining for it. So I know there are a lot of virtual races going on now, but I think what I'm trying to do with my virtual race, which is, I think it's going to be on May 24th, is to just try to get, to make it as inclusive as possible and try to get active humans from truly all corners of the earth to partake. So Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love your marketing. Seems like you got a good marketing crew over there. Yeah. Your little your little fact sheet and all the, the videos. Yes. It's, it's very well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I put together that fast stats document at the end of last year, like once everything sort of wrapped up and I ran my last marathon at the end of last year. So it was really fun to do. I mean, it took me quite a while to just sit down and sort of calculate everything like yeah. number of cups of coffee I drank in one year and all these like very random facts, but it was really fun to do. So I got to ask a question about the communal bag of sugar. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that was very, very interesting. And I mean, luckily that particular race in Madagascar. I think there were only 30 of us running that marathon. So it wasn't like 2000 people plowing through this communal bag of sugar at every aid station. But, so they just uh, had a was, big yeah. bag of sugar. That was the yep. aid station. Yep. Big was it brown bag of sugar? sugar? Nope. Just, just pure a big white. bag of sugar. Okay. Just a big bag of sugar and tons tons of water which is good because it was really hot that day i think it was like 38 degrees um so i desperately needed that big bag of sugar to sort of get through that one but i was shocked i think that's been honestly a very interesting thing at all these races just sort of observing all of the different snacks being handed out but i think that was definitely and, like and, that one and, took the cake and what exactly is a choco pie oh god that was disgusting it's like the most processed it wasn't even chocolate. It's like it's a chocolate little cake filled with cream inside. And you yeah. can imagine that's like the last thing, like not to be <laughs> picky, like you'll eat anything during a race. But like that's kind of the last thing you want to put into your mouth, like a cream filled like chocolate pie. That was not my favorite snack. Definitely. I so, think that was in, yeah, Korea. Yeah. So Kyrgyzstan, right? Another crazy yes. place. I mean, you, you are yes. really all over the place. So much going on. I hope you kept the journal. Yes, I did. Going back to it. It's funny. I did take a lot of notes in a lot of these countries, but God, it was like at the end of the day, also just doing marketing for, for this whole campaign and keeping up with my Instagram. I, I sort of considered that to be my journal. And towards the end of the day, I mean, I would be staying up to like 1, 2 a.m. just trying to do some last minute work at the end of each day. And, and I pick up my journal and it's like, oh, the last thing I want to do is just sort of like recount the day, but I do have some general notes and I'm actually taking the time now since I've been home to sort of flesh them out a little bit to try not to forget certain things. So when you make this into a movie, what's the narrative going to be? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, a few people have asked, you know, have I thought about writing a book even? I, to be honest, this was never when I set off on this mission, it was never 
to write a book. It was never to, you know, I even was approached by this really cool French filmmaker and we had actually had some pretty big plans to make a documentary about my last marathon, but I don't honestly feel like this story is over yet. And um, there's this one man, maybe you've heard about him. His name's Nick Butter. He ran a marathon in every country. And for him, he's written his book. He is coming out with a documentary. And I just personally feel like this journey just isn't over for me yet. Especially now. That's really the question, right? Because you're rolling out of this at 27, 28 years old. Yeah. The big question is, okay, now what? Right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was really excited. I was invited to give a TED talk that was actually supposed to be um, oh, supposed to be a week ago, and they just postponed it. So, so like some very, like exciting things are are definitely coming out of this, and um, I'm excited to turn the page in a few months. So I turned thirty on June eighth, and I'm very determined to somehow wrap up this project before then. But I feel optimistic and excited for what's to come next. So. Yeah, I have a friend who I have talked to a number of times who does the look up the website. It's called um, MS Run the US. Okay. And I'm she started out the same way where she just started running across the country. She was yes. very young, ended up turning it into an NGO. She does it every wow. year. She gets 20 people and they do a stage race across the US for multiple sclerosis. So and, cool. Uh, each one of them collects 10 grand and she's wow. got this whole NGO she built out of. It is yeah. so cool. I'm looking at the you, website now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited talk. to read it over. I yeah, can introduce yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would love that. I would love yeah. that. Very cool. What an incredible initiative. Yeah. So, all right. So this is cool. I'm going to include your marketing material when I post Thank this up. Thank you so much. And awesome. Uh, awesome. you give me all the links, especially the new one. I will. Um, I will. And, and uh, I have your bio stuff. I have all that, all the great pictures. So, oh, cool. uh, this is- this is amazing. I'm interested to know what you're going to do next. Oh, thank you so this much, is, Chris. Uh, such an adventure. It has been a really incredible adventure, and it still is. Even though I'm confined at home right now, it still feels like an exciting adventure. And to be honest, with this virtual race, I feel like it's almost a blessing. Like I think it's a really cool opportunity to get people involved and engaged with the project again. Because for the most part, I just I've been traveling to these countries and I've just been communicating about what I've been doing and. Now it's just really cool to become connected to so many people and sort right. of right. Yeah. So right. I'm just trying to to look at the positives and yeah. And it's still exciting. So, so if I was to ask you the question, you know, what are the top three things that you learned over the yeah. last few years doing? What would be your answer? Gosh, that's a loaded question. I guess it's just been a really humbling experience. And I think before I started Run to Reach, I used to try to control everything in my life and. I think it's just really mellowed me out and I'm Mm. much more go with the flow now. And I think even with what we're all experiencing now with the COVID crisis, there's not much we can plan and control. And I think it's a good lesson for us all to just take a step back, look at life from the outside and, and just really try to ask yourself what adds richness to my life, what is really important to me. And I think that's what this project has allowed me to do. And I think even before I started Run to Reach, I was not super happy in my career path. And I didn't think that 
friend to reach would be my career path forever. I knew it was going to have sort of an endpoint, but I think it's just, yeah, given me so much perspective. And I also think, again, there were many difficult points during this project, but your life is really short. And now I'll have incredible stories to tell for the rest of my life. And personally, for me, I feel like that's what life is all about, to just live your fullest life, do the things that scare you, and you will come out a completely different person, a stronger person. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's been my biggest takeaway, definitely, with this whole project. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Sounds like you learned a lot. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. You'll take that going forward in life. All right. That was good chat. I'm going to move yeah, you towards the you exit here. Yeah, thank you so much, here. Chris. So, uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, you enjoy your afternoon there in Paris. Thank you. You too. All right. Cheers. Thank you so much, Chris. That was really fun. You're an amazing interviewer. Well, we're not interviewing. We're just talking, right? Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks, Chris. I'll talk to All you right. soon. Yep. Okay, Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Capturing consumer trends in the apocalypse. A window into human behavior. So I know it's difficult to step back and think about the current pandemic as a unique opportunity to observe human nature, you know, the way information spreads, how we could use this to predict and shape future events. It's difficult, but by God, it's super interesting. I'll begin with the story of Alexis St. Martin. Alexis was an unfortunate fur trapper on Mackinac Island in 1822, who accidentally got shot in the stomach. The human body being the amazing thing that it is. Alexis survived this gory wound, but with a unique twist, he had a permanent hole in his stomach, a window, if you will. And there happened to be an army doctor there on Mackinac Island named William Beaumont, who did the surgeries and helped clean the fistula for Martin. And in the process, Beaumont realized that this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see how the stomach and digestion worked. Because, you know, humans are curious. It was a unique opportunity. Not something that would happen again for a long time or could be created some other way. So our current event presents such an interesting intellectual experiment in kind of the same way. One challenge that events like this pose is their uniqueness. Because it's a unique event, we find governments and companies and people are caught flat-footed. They're reacting to events. It's like we were all dozing on the bench when the coach walked up and tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, you're in the game, go. And we're all working without a playbook, and that makes for a lot of lurching about, mistakes, and direction changing. And on a personal level, and on a cultural level, this causes a large dose of anxiety and uncertainty. And anxiety is a human response in the face of uncertainty. It's a human trait. Anxiety and and anxiety fatigue, even, they affect our decision-making capabilities, and typically not in a positive way. Anxiety and fear put us in a state where we are susceptible to emotional decision-making, which, like it or not, is the marketers and the politicians' dream state for us. To put it simply, we stop using our heads. 
But before you run to your closet, throw a blanket over your head and weep, it's also an amazing opportunity to observe la comédie humaine in all its wild splendor. I apologize for my French. Humans are curious. What we have before us is a great experiment. We should all be paying attention and taking notes. We're building a playbook right now. And I've been taking notes. (laughs) or observing. Let me share with you my observations and comment a bit on what I think this says about us and what we can potentially use or learn. And I'll go easy, don't worry. One of the lenses I look through is consumer behavior, because in my real job, I work with large companies, and some of them are large retailers, grocery stores. And it's fascinating to see what people are buying and what they're not buying, and then sort of think about what that means. So let's look at the let's look at it in a timeline form. Here we are, week zero of the of the apocalypse. The stores were cleared out of masks, disinfectant wipes, bleach, hand sanitizer, all that kind of stuff. And that can be expected. People buy based on fear. Partly the fear of the unknown disease, but also fear of missing out. If you want to create a run on any item, tell people that you're running out of it. You're short on supplies. That'll clean it right out. The human psychology kicks in and they go, I got to get mine before they're all gone. And you'll see this as a common feature throughout the consumer buying trends. It's also one of the oldest marketing tricks in the book. You know, only five left. Don't miss out. This offer expires at midnight. This is known as creating or leveraging the very emotional idea of scarcity to influence behavior. And if you notice yourself feeling scarcity, you might want to check yourself before you end up with 14 years worth of diaper wipes in the basement. And then we'll roll into week one. Week one, toilet paper, meat, dairy, eggs, bottled water. And this is where people started to realize that they may be stuck in their home for a month. And that scarcity buying goes into high gear combined with a pulling forward of demand or just-in-case buying. This same wave includes foods that will last for a while, like canned goods, rice, uh, ramen noodles. You know, who would have thought I'd live to see the day when you couldn't find ramen noodles in the grocery store? What are the college students eating? In the U.S., there was also a buildup of guns and ammo, and it doesn't mean anyone's planning on a war or riots in the streets. It's just buffering of uncertainty. It's comforting to buffer that uncertainty. It's a valid strategy to buffer against an uncertain future by building up your inventory. Companies do it all the time. And what we're saying is the supply of these products in this future, it's, it's not certain. And we buffer against that by buying more. So let's roll into week two on our journey here. Pet supplies, toys, puzzles. And now this is because we find ourselves at home with these strange people who apparently we're related to, but haven't ever spent any quality time with. We've stepped off the office hamster wheel and we're bored. And we buy those nice things that we never had time to do before. And we're going to make puzzles and play with the dog. It'll be great, like a family vacation. And alcohol! The only consistent rise in consumer trend across all these weeks is the consistent need to knock back a few too many while hunkered down. Makes the time pass. Dulls the pain. We see the good 
and the not-so-good of human nature as we are forced to live together. And not surprisingly, at least anecdotally, I hear divorce actions and domestic violence are starting to be a worry. But at the same time, soft goods, things like clothing, they drop to near-zero demand. With the interesting exception of those companies who specialize in women's tops and fashionable jogging clothes, because... If they only see you from the waist up on a Zoom call, you need that fashionable top. And if you're taking up jogging again, you need to look good on Instagram. And there is one local bookstore around here that has created a service to curate the books on your bookshelves, right? So when people are looking over your shoulder on that Zoom call and reading spines of your books, they'll see that Pelican Shakespeare and James Joyce Ulysses as opposed to a handful of Harlequin romances. And now we're into week three. People start to realize that they're in it for the long haul, and they they take that self-improvement drive. It takes over. Now we see a surge in home gym equipment and weights, and, I love this so much, kids' bikes. Our friends at Peloton see a surge in membership and participation. The more intellectual among us are buying books, e-books, Novels, home learning, pet adoptions are up. Some of us revert to our grandmothers as flour and baking products sell out. Some of us seek to fill those emotional holes created by the separation from community as pet adoption spikes. Then we're into week four and we realize something must be done about that hair care that is three weeks overdue now. And we're all starting to look like 1970s yearbook photos. Home hair care products are cleared away. And everyone is searching how to cut your own hair on YouTube. And not to let a good crisis go to waste, the marketers are starting to catch up. They're chasing the sentiment. Weight loss and self-care products and vitamins to enhance your immune responses are being pushed into your inbox. And now we're into week five. As we hit the peak in heavily impacted areas here on the East Coast, sympathy and bereavement cards are selling out. And on a more potentially morbid note, funerary services, caskets, crematoriums are all running at an all-time high in the harder-hit metropolises and places like Spain and Italy and New York and Boston. And as we roll into spring, lawn care and home garden supplies are in short supply now. And where does this leave us in this great, unexpected experiment? A question. What happens now? How many of these behavior changes stick? What is the consumer sentiment for week X and Y and Z? I mean, maybe you should be reserving time with an inheritance lawyer because of the coming shift in wealth from the greatest generation and the older boomers, because they own stuff, remember? Maybe that's all going to shift to a new generation. What about the constant stream of joggers? Yeah, I'm calling them joggers, not runners for now, that pass by my window. Will they be needing running shoes and programs for beginners? Will everyone need weight loss programs? Or maybe 12-step programs? Will all those who have soured on globalization start supporting their local farms and businesses and communities? We can only hope. And the other thing that always encourages me in these disruptions is that it spurs people into making those decisions that they've been afraid to make. 
It removes the safety net that was holding people back. And these big variations to the steady state create rich soil for the next generation of innovation. I remember the crash of the mini computer market in the 80s. It created all the modern semiconductor companies and the personal computer market. The first internet crash at the end of the millennium created the multi-billion dollar household technology names that you and I talk about today. And on and on. Nothing drives innovation like a little scarcity and desperation. Crises are opportunities because they force break your frame of reference. They break the box. And it's up, up to us to create good from that, to see what good comes from that. So be careful not to let emotional responses manipulate you. Be an observer. Observe as much as you react. Observe others and, importantly, observe yourself. And remember, every day is a gift. And so take that gift and learn from it. And use this as an opportunity to reimagine what could be. And by the way, a postscript. Our friend Alexis St. Martin with the hole in his stomach, he actually lived into his 80s and died restful in his old age. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have run through the deserts, oceans, and jungles of this mad world to the end of the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-431. Good to spend some time with you, my friends. I'm glad I delayed this episode for a week. It gave me a chance to read through the pieces and edit them. Usually I, when I write, I sort of write straight through and I don't worry about editing. And the funny thing is, whether you believe it or not, I care deeply about doing a good job. Not just here in the podcast, but in everything I do, right? It's just, it's in me. And it causes dissonance in me to have to rush through things and to do things in a slipshod way. And that's not the way I want to tell my story. Research has connected the dots between why affirmations work in some cases and not in others. And it has to do with whether or not you actually believe what you're saying. So what does this mean? It means the story you tell about yourself is important. It also means the way you tell it is very important. And it means you must believe that story. I mean, you can, re- you can repeat whatever positive mantra you want over and over again while gazing at yourself in the mirror, but it won't improve your performance or your life, or your attitude, unless you believe it. And you can't trick yourself into believing it. Affirmation, whether internal or external, works when it's grounded in what we believe to be our true selves. We all know what our strengths are. Those are the bedrock of our beliefs. When you can understand and articulate what your strengths are, that affirmation, that gives you an anchor. That's rooted in your self-truth. Rooted to this anchor, you can clear your way through the noise of inputs and outputs and set up a path that is true to you. So take a moment of your quiet today and write down what you're proud of, what you're good at, and what you're passionate about. And then use that statement of strength to tell your story, not just to yourself, but to everyone else. And thank you 
my friends, for listening. I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. To take you out this week is track number 10 from Brian Sheff, the rock opera by the Nays called Searching for So Long. Enjoy. I've been searching